Again, we're in this series uh, called The Ladder, and, and if, if you join me, I'd like to take a moment uh, as we start to, to spend some time in prayer and to offer this time up to God. Uh, God, we thank you, again, that we can come in here today and we can worship you, um, that worship takes place outside of this room as well, but, but really, what a joy, what a privilege uh, to be together as a church and, and to have this time. And I, I pray, Lord, as we, as we take another week to dig into this idea of generosity and the life that you have in mind for us, the life that is truly life, um, God, I know um, that I need you. Um, we need you to open up our hearts in this area. Um, that it's nothing that I can do on my own, um, but, but it takes you. And I believe with all of my heart that you've got something for me in this message, that you've got something for each of us in this message, Lord. And uh, as we think about trust and faith, especially in the area of finances, God, um, we, need to help. we need your help uh, in taking big steps. And, uh, and so, God, I pray for your work in us today. We offer this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, the book of Genesis tells many stories, but one of the stories, one of the characters is a guy by the name of Abraham. And uh, we're going to get to know Abraham a little bit more in a few weeks together as we get into the story. Um, But just kind of briefly about his life, you know, one day God told Abraham to relocate his family, uh, to pick them up, to move them to a new place, a new home uh, called Canaan. And God promised Uh, Abraham and his family and his descendants that this land that he was giving them would be their land forever. And and for the most part, I've got to tell you, and as you'll see, I mean, it was a great move for Abraham and his family and for God's plan. And Abraham quickly became a a person of great influence and a great of great power while he was there. But but there was opposition. And, and you know, and you need to be reminded, we need to be reminded that if you follow God, if you seek to live your life for God, you're going to run up against opposition in, in many different ways. And on this one particular occasion, the book of Genesis tells us that a foreign army uh, came into this land, came into Abraham's land and, and kidnapped Abraham's nephew. And in response, Abraham organized a group of armed men and together they set out on foot to free their nephew. And in a daring nighttime sort of a raid that could really only come out of a movie, uh, Abraham and his men not only succeeded in freeing their family member, but in the process they managed to get away with large amounts of money and valuable material goods. And so the scripture goes that in Genesis, as Abraham and his men are on their way home from battle, this guy, a guy by the name of Melchizedek, which I've worked on pronouncing that name all week long and getting it right, Melchizedek appears out of nowhere and he greets Abraham. And you've got to know that Melchizedek is this mysterious sort of guy. I mean, he's really very curious, and most people have never heard of him. And while little is mentioned of Melchizedek in the Bible, uh, the Bible does tell us in Genesis that he's the king of Salem, and it refers to him as the priest of the Most High God. But again, here's what makes this man really curious. I mean, no one really knows where Salem was. Now, some believe that it later became known as the place we know as Jerusalem today, but no one really knows for sure. And no one really knows what it means that he carried this title, the priest of the Most High God. And so we hear a little bit about him in the book of Genesis, and there's a little bit more about him in the New Testament later. But for the most part, Melchizedek is sort of a mystery. But here's what we do know. Melchizedek came out of nowhere. He greets Abraham, who's on his way home from battle. And in Genesis chapter 14, verses 19 to 20, here's what Melchizedek says to Abraham. He says, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. 
and praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, what's Melchizedek saying? Well, he, it's a blessing. I mean, he's really looking at Abraham and he's saying, hey, I don't know if you get it, dude, or not, but you are, I mean, you are blessed by God. I mean, God has a great plan for you and he is working in your life and he is looking out for you and he's given you this victory and he has given you everything you have and wants to give you more. He, he's got these great and these outstanding plans for your life. And then the Bible says, and I, I want you to just look how Abraham responds. It says that Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Again, we don't know much about Melchizedek and where he came from or even where he went after this. All we know is that he was God's representative before Abraham. And following this blessing, Abraham gave to him a tenth of everything that he had received from this victory that God had given him. Now, maybe this is your first encounter with, with, with Melchizedek, um, but I'm guessing that all of us in some way, shape, or form are at least familiar with the biblical term tithe. And if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, uh, the word tithe basically means this. It means tenth. Uh, it's a percentage. It means 10%. It, it's the biblical practice. Tithing is the biblical practice of returning a tenth of your money and giving it back to God. And I wanted to just start today by giving you this brief example, this brief story of Abraham as a way of showing you one of the first and maybe the first recorded examples of someone tithing or giving back to God. Now, as I said last week, and we kind of opened this week with this, that I know that anytime we talk about money or finances or something like tithing in church, that some people get a little uneasy or get a little nervous or break out with hives or something like that. And I want to tell you right up front that I'm not going to apologize for talking about money. I believe this is an important issue that we've got to be willing to look at together. But I do, I will say this, that if you're a guest today and this is your first time, please know that we don't talk about money every week. All right. You just happen to come on one of those Sundays. And if you're new today and if you're new to church, if you're new to Christianity, um, please know that you're, you're sort of off the hook on this. I mean, you just kind of get the privilege of looking in and considering for yourselves. But for the rest of us, you know, we're in this series called The Ladder and we're talking about money and finances. And as we continue in this message series, I, I want to be very clear in saying that this, this series and this teaching on money and resources is not about Genesis Church uh, getting more of your money. And it doesn't have anything to do with what God wants from you either. It's all about what God wants for you. That, that he has something in mind for you, that he has something in mind for us. He has a plan for us and, is it, and it works. And, and as we discovered last week, you know, God wants to release us from the grip, from the hold that money so easily and so quickly uh, takes over in all of us. And he wants to move us from this position where money dominates those feelings of security and satisfaction and, and significance all the time. And what he wants to do is he wants to free us. Like God wants you to be free from anything and everything but him. Like that you can only serve one God. And that's the God of heaven. It's the God that we know through Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants for you. And that's what he wants for me. I mean, he wants to move you to a place, from a place in your life, so that you can get to this place where you can say, you know what, I trust him and my faith is in him. And with every part of my life, including with my finances, I serve one God. And it's the God of heaven. And as we saw and as we discovered last week, and if, and if you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you to check it out online or you can get a CD from our info hub. God's desire for you and me is what, Timothy, is what Paul referred to as a life that is truly life. Like that's God's desire for us, a life that is truly life. And it's a life that we live for him 
It's a life that is very purposeful. It's a life where all of our focus is on Jesus and what He's doing in this world. And and with this sort of life, we recognize that everything that we have, 100% of what we have, it belongs to Him. And our part is love and obedience. And His desire for every single one of us is a life of generosity. I mean, when when you think about a ladder or when you look at a ladder and just for the sake of this illustration and for this series, you know, this ladder and this progress that we make in our life as followers of Jesus, it has everything to do with generosity. I mean, generosity is where this ladder is heading for each of us. And it's His desire, God's desire in your life and in mine that we'll just simply be generous people in all things and in everything. Now, last week we talked about what it means to be to become an initial giver, and it's taking the first step. And my challenge for you was that if, if you've never given anything, if you're just getting started in this and want to take a step up onto this ladder, my challenge for you was just a simple one, maybe, maybe not so simple, but it's just to become an initial giver. And to become an initial giver just basically means what would it look like for you in your life every month to take a portion of what you receive and just say, you know what, I'm going to give this to my church. I'm returning it back to God. And I realize that for some people, that first step, that first big jump to say, okay, I'm giving 10%, maybe it's just too great. You know, and you're like, you know, I I can't do that yet. I'm just getting started. But what would it look like to get your heart moving in that direction, your life in that direction of obedience and just say, okay, I'm going to give something and I'm going to give it first and I'm going to give it consistently. Well, today we're talking about moving up the ladder and we're talking about another step on this ladder and what it means for you and me to take another step. And that is the step where you become what we'll call a proportional giver. All right. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. We're just going to call it a proportional giver. And it has everything to do with what it means to to tithe. And and just to make that as practical as possible, um, here's what it looks like. I've got 10 $1 bills in my hand. And here's what I believe that it means to become a proportional giver. It's just, okay, every time I get 10 of these, I make it a practice. I make it a discipline in my life that I take the first one. And I say, I'm going to give that back to God. I'm returning it to him. I'm going to make this a practice, a discipline in my life that every time I get 10 of these, the first one, it goes back to God. And I'm going to do everything in my power to live off of the rest. Now, Abraham did that. You know, and again, it's all about honoring God with a tenth of everything we receive from him. And it's just where we make it this practice and this discipline in our life to return to God at least 10% of everything that you make. Now, I told you about Melchizedek. Well, uh, there's another guy that I want to tell you about, and his name's a little easier to pronounce. But I want to introduce you to a guy, a guy in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Malachi. Now, Malachi's a prophet, and, and there's a whole book in the Old Testament towards the end, well, the very end of the Old Testament that bears his name. And, and when you get to Malachi, uh, God is talking to his people, people like you and me, hundreds of years after Abraham ever tithed back to God. And with Malachi, God has some very pointed words, but yet some very promising words for people like you and me on this matter of tithing, this area of giving. And as we get started in this, as we look at a few verses, I just want to tell you right up front, um, these words might sting a little. Uh, In fact, it's possible that if you read these words and really open up your heart to these words, I mean, they may even upset you uh, to a certain degree. But would you realize and believe that God said them like not me, like he's on the hook for them. All right. So 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 don't put me on the hook for these words. But if you want to follow along with us in Malachi chapter three, some of you already know where I'm going. Malachi three, starting in verse eight. We've got the words here for you. Here's what it says. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how are we robbing you? 
in tithes and offerings. Verse 9 says, You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. You know, as we read these words and as I was reflecting on these words this past week, I I think there are some really important truths about tithing that come right out of a passage like this. And I want to look at a few of those briefly with you. Um, the, The first truth is this. It's just simply, if I'm not tithing, I'm robbing God. Now, if those words seem a little edgy, Remember, God said them, all right? These are in the Bible, and they're words from Him. And I want to stop here for just a second and say something like this, that if you were here last week and you heard me talk about what it means to become an initial giver, and that's a step that you've never taken in your life before, and you believe with all of your heart that God was really working in you this past Sunday and maybe even this past week, and you're ready to take that first step, and God has put some things in front of you, and maybe you've even already done that work to say, okay, I'm going to set aside this amount, and I'm going to give it consistently. I'm going to give it first. Can I just tell you, would you please keep going in that direction? I mean, I believe that God delights in our progress. All right, I believe that He loves you, and He loves those small steps or those great steps that you're taking. And so you go in whatever direction that God is leading you. But I do want to say this too, that for those of you that know this about tithing, Maybe this is the 100th message you've ever heard on giving and tithing. But honestly, when you think about it, you don't really give or you have your own way of doing that. Or maybe when you think about your giving, maybe it is pretty effortless. I want you to look at what Malachi says. He says, bring the whole tithe to God and specifically uses that word. That means that giving anything less than the whole tithe is partial obedience to God. And why is partial obedience to a big deal? Well, look at it like this. Just, let's just say if you're a guy, all right, and if you're married and maybe your wife comes up to you this afternoon and she asks you this, honey, have you been faithful to me this past year? All right, and your response to her question is this. Um, most of the time, um, partially, have you ever been punched in the face before? All right? I mean, you, you know that a conversation and your response like this isn't going in, in the great direction. And when it comes to things like relationships, partial is betrayal. And God has never been satisfied with our partial obedience either. He demands full obedience from each of us. And, and so truth be known, not tithing is disobedience or partial obedience. And Malachi says it's like robbing God of what already belongs to him. But then he tells us that there's an even greater consequence. The truth, too, is this one, that not tithing leads to not being fully blessed by God. I mean, again, see it for yourself, because according to Malachi, if I'm not tithing, he says that I'm actually under a curse. Verse 9 goes like this. He says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now, I know that some of you might look at a verse like this and say, what? Like, a curse? Like, what? What, what does this mean? I mean, God, God is going to make things, he, like, like he would make bad things happen to me. You know, like my TV getting stuck on, on a channel that the only show it plays is like TV's, you know, wipeout. Like to me, that would be a great curse for that show to be playing over and, and over again. But no, there's this great little book that our teaching team uh, read in preparing for this series. It's a book called The Generosity Ladder. And in this book, the author addresses the question of the curse 
And he believes that this curse, that, curse that's presented in Malachi is real and present in many lives and in many homes and many marriages today. And, and we just don't realize it. I mean, what does it mean to be under a curse like this? Well, he says, you know, it, it's something that we bring on ourselves. And he says, you know, more than we realize a curse like this is evidenced in the countless number of people who go to bed worrying about money every single night. Or the curse is evidenced in people who continually argue about money all the time with people that they say they love. Or that this curse is evidenced in the ever-increasing number of individuals who would say that they live in this constant fear of losing everything. I mean, think about it for just a moment. I mean, think about how many people you know who continually worry about money and finances. And can any of you relate with that sort of fear? I mean, is it the curse that Malachi is talking about? Maybe. Maybe. And it makes sense. And not only does he talk about robbing God individually and being under a curse, but even the whole nation under a curse. I mean, look at the financial situation in our country, in our world right now. And what's our problem? We've got a me problem. That's the problem. It's every single one of us contributing to the problem that it's about me, that I come first. And so we see how strong God's feelings are towards those who don't tithe or don't make any effort at all in their life to offer any part of their financial resources to God. But on the other hand, there's good news. I mean, there's really good news out of this passage. You know, Malachi says that tithing opens up the doors of your life so that the blessings of God can fully come in. That when we are obedient to the call to tithe, that God will bless us in unimaginable ways, both financially and otherwise. And and I've got to tell you this, that I would rather give 10% of my income back to God and live with His blessings in my life than keep 100% of my income and operate without His blessing. And you've got to make that decision for yourself. I mean, which life do you want to live? Which plan do you want to live by? And does it sound too good to be true? Well, don't believe me. Well, take, take what the word has to say. Truth number three, God says, test me in this. He says, test me in this. God's word says that he will bless those who become proportional givers, who become tithers, those who make an intentional effort to return to God with the 10%. And then he says something pretty interesting. Right here in Malachi, he says, test me in this. It's as if he's saying, try me and see. I mean, did you know that this is the only place in the Bible where God challenges us to test him? There are something like over 600 commandments in the Old Testament law, but this is the only place where God challenges us to test him. And here God says, give the full tithe, make it a practice in your life to return 10%, at least 10% of your income back to me. And then he says, see if I will not bless you. It's almost as if God is saying, I dare you to try me on this one and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life that you won't have enough space to hold it or to count it. You know, when it, when it comes to your life and the way that you choose to live, you've got a choice. I mean, in every area of your life, God gives you that freedom and that privilege and that includes in this area of money. And you can choose to live your way or we can choose to live according to God's way. And I believe the Bible that God has a way for us that's laid out when it comes to our money and finances, that God has a life in mind for each of us and it's a life that has everything to do with generosity, and a life where we as followers of Jesus, we just make it a part of our life. It becomes a discipline that we regularly give back to God at least 10% of our income. But why? Why so specific here? Like, why does he expect this of us? I mean, why does he ask us to live this way? 
You know, honestly, and in my opinion, I, I think it's no surprise that God knew that this area of giving and money would be one of the greatest, if not one of the greatest hurdles in your walk and in my walk with God. I mean, it's why Jesus talked about money more than any other subject in all of the Bible. God knows that our heart typically follows our wallet, that that's where he'll find it. He'll find it wherever our wallet is. And God knows that tithing is frightening, that giving takes guts. And whether you agree or choose to disagree with what he has in mind for you and me when it comes to our finances, can you at least see what he's up to? Can you just see what happens in that giving first and honoring him first? I mean, can't you see how steps like these intentionally get your heart moving in his direction? I mean, you see, I see how it takes faith and it takes trust to live like this. And how are we doing in this area of faith and trust? Well, I have to tell you, there's all sorts of research out there on this and all sorts of different factors. And so it's really difficult to pinpoint one particular study and say, well, okay, that's the study. Let's look at this. But for the most part, research shows today that somewhere between 2% and 7% of Christians tithe back to God today. 2% to 7%. And from everything we can estimate, it's about the same for Genesis Church. I mean, that's about where we are right now. And why is that the case? Well, I think some refuse. I mean, I think some people just choose to ignore I think it is real and true that some people have just never received real clear teaching on a matter like this, and so we don't know how to give. And let's not deny the fact, too, and and God's made this kind of a, a real special place in my heart this past week that I know that we've got a bunch of people living in financial crisis today. And so that's a real factor. But we posted the question. We just decided to give it a try this past week and posted the question to Twitter and Facebook and just simply asked this question, what keeps Christians from tithing. And I didn't know if anybody would respond because it is such a sensitive area, but it was really pretty cool that we got something like over 30 responses where people said, hey, here's what I've heard. Here's what I know. Here's what it means to me. This is why it's so difficult. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to just share a few of these reasons with you and then just give you some brief response to each. Um, One of the reasons that people give often for not tithing is that tithing is Old Testament stuff, that that we don't live under the Old Testament law anymore. And, And it's true. Um, tithing comes right out of the Old Testament. I mean, you can see this with Cain and Abel. I mean, we saw the story of Abraham and Melchizedek and Malachi a few minutes ago. Um, go all the way back to the book of Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus 27.30 uh, commands this, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, while these commands and these words come out of the Old Testament, I need you to know, we need to be reminded that they weren't considered irrelevant when Jesus came on the scene. I mean, Scripture confirms that Jesus came to this earth to fulfill the law, not to dismiss it. And in Matthew chapter 5 specifically, Jesus explained how he didn't come to abolish the law, but how he came to, uh, to establish, to accomplish the law's purposes. Jesus validated the tithe. You know, we see this in Matthew 23, 23, when he's speaking to the teachers, and he says, Hey, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he says, You give a tenth of your spices... There's their tithe, mint, dill, and cumin. But then he says, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, this last line is key. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, again, Jesus isn't canceling the law. He's fulfilling the law. He's raising the bar here. And I just want you to notice how Jesus instructed the Pharisees to do the former thing, which is the tithing, but reminded them of the importance of giving with the right heart that we're not supposed to give out of duty, 
that we're not supposed to give out of guilt or obligation. This isn't about legalism, but Jesus wants us to give in a way that demonstrates faith and trust. And like then, Jesus today, he invites us to give the same sort of heart and attitude too. And so are we free from the Old Testament law? Yeah, and praise God for that. But does that mean that we can use it as anything uh, to do anything but give generously? No way. I believe that Jesus Christ opened the door to greater giving. In fact, if you want to give less, you'd be better off to live by the Old Testament law. Because I believe that Jesus, again, has raised this bar. He's raised the bar for us in this area of giving and tithing. I have a friend that says it this way. He says, you know, generosity begins at 10%. It's not a finish line. It's really a starting place. And I've got to tell you that I agree with him on that. There's another reason. Another reason that comes up is people say, you know, I need to save before I give. And, and I think it's good and smart and biblical to save your money. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. But saving is not more important than giving. Because when I save first and I make that my first priority, that puts me back on my plan. That's a, that's a me first sort of a plan and a sort of an attitude. Tithing is something you do first every month. It, get, it gets our heart moving in the right direction and it puts God first. Another reason that comes up is people will say, um, it's not just money, right? I mean, I, I can interpret this as other things. I'll, I'll just give my time instead of money. And, and I want you to know, and here, I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe that tithe, or t- giving your time is so important, uh, whether it be here at church, at Genesis, or away from here, as you do other things, as you serve in this community. Um, I believe we are called to give our time. But, but if that's your reason uh, for not giving, can I just ask you this? Are you giving 2.4 hours of your day back to God? or, you know, serving your church in that? Um, Because the Bible doesn't say anything about giving 10% of your time. And truth be known, I mean, he expects all of that. I mean, he wants all of that in in everything that we do. I mean, we don't get the option of choosing to give time over giving money. I mean, it's both. And and when it really comes down to it, it's not 10% that he wants. I mean, he wants everything, you know, in every aspect of our life. Another reason, reason four, is that when it comes to church, you know, people will say, I I just don't know if I trust God. Uh, the church uh, in this area of giving or how the money is being spent. And I mean, I want to say here too, just kind of very sensitive to this. I know that this is where it can get really sticky. And if you haven't been around here uh, for a long time, maybe you've been in other churches in the past, maybe you've been in some difficult situations where there was trust, um, but, you know, people weren't you know, taking care of the finances or weren't following through on, on promises made and all that. It wasn't handled carefully. And so I can understand how it make it very difficult to trust. But if you've been in a situation like that before, can I just challenge you to do something about it, um, to take another step? Because um, we've got some incredible people. I mean, if, if, if you're not tithing at Genesis, because for you, you would say it's a trust issue. Again, we've got some incredible people here at Genesis and on our financial team that would be more than happy to sit down with you and answer any question that you have in this area of money and finances. Uh, And I want you to know that your team and your staff and your volunteer leaders here at Genesis, they can be trusted. And after all of that, and you have some conversations like that, or maybe you, you you just walk away and say, you know what, I still can't trust. Or you'd walk away and say, you know what, I just don't agree with the way the church is using the money. Can I just say that if the only thing that is preventing you from tithing is that you don't agree with the way that things are being done, you might have to find another church, right? I mean, please don't let a trust issue get in the way of obedience to what God has called you to do and how he's directed you in your life. And I also want to add here too, I just want to say, be real careful of this excuse. 
because I think this is one of those areas that we might point to it and say it's a trust issue, but more than we realize, it might be more of a heart issue. It might be more of a you issue because if, if you've been at something like the last four churches and for each of them you would say, I couldn't trust, it might be more you than you realize. A fifth reason, some will say, you know, I'd love to give, but my spouse won't let me. Hey, I, I have to say, I, I get this. Um, and, and not because of personally, but, but, but I, I, I can relate. I, I can understand here, and I, I believe that God does too. And I believe that more than anything, unity is so important in every marriage that marriage has to be about trust. And so if you'd like to give right now, but your spouse is opposed to it, I realize you've got real few options uh, at this point. But I want to remind you that you can pray. And you can pray for your spouse and you can love them and you can serve them uh, and you can serve them wholeheartedly. And, and if you're at a place that you aren't able to give financially but you would love to, um, I think time is certainly one of those ways that you can give. You can open up your home to others. Uh, you could give through something like our Helping Hands team here and help provide meals for others. I mean, God can provide many ways for you to grow, especially in this area of generosity. Um, another reason others will say, you know, I give to other places. You know, doesn't that count? Doesn't that all work together? Hey, I just want to tell you, here's what I believe. And I know that there are other well-meaning people in this area that might disagree or see it a little differently. But here's what I believe. I believe the Bible teaches that our tithe, that 10% goes back to the local church first, and that our offerings are over and above giving uh, that we go, that we send out to support other ministries with an eternal perspective. You know, look again at Malachi chapter 3. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then he asks, why? He says, so there may be food in my house. Now, in biblical times, the storehouse referred to the temple. Today, it's been replaced by the church. And the food that's referred to here in Malachi 3 is the ongoing ministry of the temple, or as we understand it now today, the ongoing work of the church, like through churches like Genesis. And so I believe the Bible teaches specifically that the tithe is intended to infuse the local church, churches like Genesis first, so that God's kingdom can expand, so that the message can continue on. And don't forget in that that we support so many other partners outside of keeping the lights on here on Sundays. I mean, we've got great partners here locally and in Indiana and around the world that we support. I mean, we're in a position right now that because of your generosity, over the course of the next fiscal year, we're going to give away over $100,000 to other ministries that are helping people find their way back to God. And so I believe that the tithe ought to go to the church first and that once you've done that, I hope we all keep growing. Again, these are about steps as God increases our heart, as he grows us in this area of generosity. And so I would challenge you to give beyond, above and beyond to other Christ-centered missions worldwide and parachurch ministries that you're passionate about. Again, others that have an eternal perspective that their mission too is something like helping people find their way back to God. A seventh reason some will say, and probably the most, um, the most popular, I think the one that we can most relate to, is something like, I can't afford to tithe. Uh, more than any other excuse, you know, people will say they can't afford to tithe and they can't afford to give. And to that, I just have to ask this question for you to consider. This is for you and for God. Number one, can you afford your lifestyle? Is that really the question? Or number two, could it have anything to do with the fact that you're not giving? Haggai chapter 1, 
verses 9 and 11. The book of Haggai is an Old Testament book all about obedience and disobedience. And this prophet Haggai has, has really working through God to, to this. They, they want to rebuild the temple, but the people aren't doing that. They're worrying about their own lives and their own homes. And, and here's what God says through Haggai. He says, you know, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Almighty, Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Again, another evidence you know, of this curse that Malachi was talking about. But if we give our tithe to God first, I believe with all my heart that he will bless us in ways so that we can pay all of our debts here on earth. But when we rob God to pay others first, we rob ourselves of God's blessings and really his desire to provide for us. You know, one person said it like this. He said, you know, when you think about it and just think about it very practically, if your income was reduced by 10% tomorrow, would you die? No, probably not. You'd figure out a way to make it happen. And more often than not, it's not a matter of being able to afford to tithe. We just don't want to. I mean, we don't like to go without. We don't like to go without our cars and our shoes and our clothes and our TV and our data plans. And, you know, we, we're just not willing to take, you know, that step. I mean, if you can't afford to tithe, I mean, I think the question really is, can you afford to live? I mean, can you afford our li- your lifestyle? I mean, again, just you know, very practically, I mean, to tie, to live in this sort of way says, you know what, every time I get 10 of these, I'm going to take one. I'm going to take the first one and I'm going to return it to God. Now, what does that mean for the rest? Well, it means you live off the rest. And I think every good financial advisor planner would tell you that you need to probably take, if you've got some debt in your life, you need to take at least one of these and use it to pay off that debt. And then you need to take another one and you need to set it aside into something like investments or retirements. And so for you, it means, well, then you live off of seven of them. You live off of 70%. Now, maybe you'd look at that and say, wait a second. You're going to need, if you've got debt in your life, you need to get that debt paid off. It's going to take more than that. Well, I understand, but you can still give one to God. And then you could say, well, I'm going to take two of these to pay off debt. Or others would say, well, you know, you're going to have to put a lot more than that away for savings and retirement one day. Again, I get it, but It still doesn't mean we can't give the first to God as a way of directing our hearts, saying this is what I want to be my priority in life. And then maybe put two of them away for savings or three of them. But then you live off of the rest. Hey, let me add this. If you're here today and you would say that not being able to afford to tithe is one of your reasons for not giving right now, um, I'm going to assume that you've probably got some some things going on financially in your life that are really tough and really difficult to work through. And and we don't want to be a church that's simply about teaching giving, as important as that is, but we also want to help provide some resources so that you can get to another place because God wants you to be free. And, And so that's why we offer a program, a great ministry here at Genesis called Financial Peace University. Uh, it's coming up in, in February. Um, I've been through it. A ton of people in our church have been through it. It's a great way to go. It's a great way to, to just get some awesome insight and to get on a plan to help get you to a different place. And so if you've never been through something like that before, I'd encourage you to check it out. You won't regret it. Hey, I get it. it it's, not, it's not easy to give, especially if you've never done it before. But I will say, that it's far easier to live on 90% of your income inside the will of God 
than it is to live on 100% of your income outside of the will of God. And as I shared with you last week, um, no one ever taught me how to do this. When I came from a great home, and I'm pretty sure that my parents gave, but they didn't intentionally teach me how to do this. And so when Jenny and I were first married, you know, most weeks we gave nothing. And then in 2000, we went on staff at a church for the very first time. And uh, we realized going into that, that if our staff and our church was going to be asking people to give, that like we needed to do that too. Like we had to jump in. And so we went cold turkey and and we just started tithing. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you that it was difficult at first. I mean, it's a change of life. I mean, it's a discipline learning to give and and it required discipline and life change. And I've got a whole bunch of stories for how God um, responded and blessed us. But I've got a bunch of stories too of times where we had to say no to some things that we would have maybe typically said yes to. But now 13 years later, every two weeks, we give to the church. We've done that for 13 years and for the last four and a half years to Genesis Church. And while we started giving out 10% of our income to the church 13 years ago, God has helped us move up this ladder in this area of giving and generosity. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that next week. But I will say this, that I've lived on my plan and I've lived on God's plan. And I would never, ever think about going back to my plan ever again. Because in my life and in our home, God has blessed us over and over and over again in so many ways that I can't describe. It's just like what comes right out of Malachi when he says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on your life that you won't have enough room to store it. And this is just my story. I mean, our church is full of stories of people like you with the same story and call me overly optimistic. But I really believe that if you could find the faith that there are so many people in this church today that you would love to take this step in your life to be able to say, I'm living for him. I'm giving to him in everything, including my finances. I'm climbing the ladder towards the life that is truly life. And so here's what we're going to do. I I said this to you last week, and and I'll remind you again today that there's a challenge uh, every single week for every single one of us. And so here's my challenge for you today. Would you be willing to step out and make a faith step, a commitment to tithe? I want to challenge you to think about that, to pray about it. I mean, you know, there are basically 10 weeks between now and Easter. And so what we want to do here at Genesis is encourage everyone to test God over the next 10 weeks. Now, God didn't say test me for 10 weeks. All right. He didn't say that. Uh, But we thought it would be a great time period because you've got to start somewhere. And so that's the takeaway today. That's the challenge for you and me, for everyone. Uh, Would you consider starting somewhere? Would you make a commitment between now and Easter and say, you know what, I'm going to test God in this. I'm going to test him in this area of tithing and see what he does in my life. And so for this time period that you'll work, you'll do everything that you can to be an obedient, proportional, put God to the test kind of giver. And I want to challenge you to start today or that you'll start this week. I mean, don't put it off too long or Satan, he'll just steal it away from me and it'll be gone. But remember, God says, test me in this. And as you tithe, see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing in your life. Say, I'm confident. I'm putting my faith in God on this one. I believe that if you'll take this step in your life to give to him, I believe that God will bless you. Now, I don't know how he'll bless you. I mean, he might bless you financially, but I'm not going to promise you that. Uh, He might choose to bless you in your relationships. Uh, He may give you a peace like you've never experienced before when it comes to finances. I don't know how God will provide for you in this or how he'll bless you, but I'm confident that he will.